to Straight From The Source, the podcast from the Association of Participating Service Users. We represent people impacted by alcohol and other drugs. I'm your host, Sam Schlicht, bringing you real-life stories straight from the source. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. I pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Today's episode is one of a series in which we try and get a sense of the way in which restrictions due to COVID-19 are affecting our community. Changes are happening fast in every walk of life, and as always, we believe it's essential to gather views from people on the front lines. For this episode, I spoke to Jane, a peer worker at Harm Reduction Victoria. She talks about the challenges facing Victoria's drug users, lessons she's learned from attempting to continue her work, and even a few reasons to be hopeful. This episode contains mild swearing and reference to drug use that some listeners may find distressing. All right. So if you could just tell us what your work's usually like day to day before all this happened. Okay. So I work for Harm Reduction Victoria. We're the Victorian Drug User Organisation. So we're a peer-based organisation, meaning that everybody that works at Harm Reduction Victoria has either current or past drug use experience. But um, the majority of us are current drug users. And it works on the sense of we know that drug users listen to other drug users. So the my role, I manage the um, health promotion team and the overdose program. Primarily, it's frontline work with people who use drugs, um, educating them in safer drug use, um, about bloodborne virus transmission, the hepatitis, and also overdose. We do a lot of naloxone training. So before this pandemic hit, I was doing a lot of face-to-face frontline work and the pandemic sort of knocked that on the head. Yeah, sure. Where were you meeting people before? My work's um, always off-site, like outreach. I go to services where people will congregate, usually a needle and syringe program or some of the housing services, um, wherever I could get a bunch of people that use drugs together, basically. Um, but yeah, I would rely a lot on other agencies that have those sorts of clients there, you know, and I would go in and gather a group of them up and take them off and do a training workshop with them. Right. Okay. When you say take them off, where, where do you go then? Well, I mean, you know, we would go into a training room or, or wherever, you know, we could get a bit of privacy because yeah, it wasn't open slather for everyone to join in because as you can understand, people who use drugs do have a lot of private and personal things that they don't want to share with the whole world. So, um, yeah, when I say take them off, I just meant we would go off into a room, a training room, you know, different services have got different facilities available, but yeah, good training rooms worth its weight in gold. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you go to an enclosed space in a, in a group of people, which has become difficult. Well, yeah, kind of everything had to stop once the pandemic hit and 
you know, with social distancing and not being allowed to gather in groups, it was sort of like, oh, my God, what am I going to do for work? (laughs) Yeah. How early did you sort of start to realise or or get word that things were going to change? And I don't mean like what date, because honestly, I can't even, I can't remember any dates now, but just how long before it all became official? Well, it was, it was, you know, in the first half of March was when, you know, we looked at what we were doing and we had to, you know, close the office down and start working from home. Um, however, our office runs a couple of essential services. So we did have to have people there all the time still, but we just couldn't have as many of us there, which meant, you know, we had to go down to a rotating skeleton shift on the roster of who was going to work in the office and who was going to work from home. I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be great working from home. And I think it was about day three, I thought, this really sucks working from home. (laughs) And I wanted to get back in the office. (laughs) It's funny. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. I even heard someone today say that they're looking forward to being stuck in traffic again. Oh, no, 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 no. No, that's something I'm not looking forward to. Yeah, I can't (laughs) say I agree. Yeah, to be honest, that's one of the... um, unintended bonuses I think about the whole thing not having to drive as much (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely yeah so what changes did you start to make first of all well yeah we had to um we had to make some drastic changes for like you know our peer-based programs because as I've just explained we work in groups and and that's how we do our best work because we learn off of each other so all of a sudden having everyone you know, solo, even to do a face-to-face. In the beginning, I couldn't do a face-to-face um, interaction because we couldn't, weren't allowed to do that. And I remember DHHS and other services were saying, oh, you know, video calls are so good and, you know, there's telehealth and things like that. But, you know, the majority of the people I work with, they don't have access to computers or if they've got the hardware, they don't have, you know, any data that they can use or, you know, there's a lot of problems. Not everyone can just jump on a computer and do Zoom calls and video conferencing and stuff like that. So, you know, I remember in the beginning thinking, how am I going to actually train people if I can't talk to them? You know, and it was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Are we going to make videos? It's like it's just it's one of those things that we still haven't nutted out completely, but um, we're going to have to go rely on a lot more on social media and videos and things like that, which, you know, I'm concerned about the people that just don't have that kind of technology. You know, myself, it was hard enough trying to get on this call for you today because I'm such a Luddite and, and I know a lot of people out there think I'm pretty tech savvy, so that's saying something. Yeah. Are you speaking to people on the phone who you would previously have seen in person? We're getting the random calls at work where we do – what we do, we'll talk to someone if they've got questions. But as far as um, doing any sort of proactive training or education, it's impossible. You know, like if someone rings us, of course I can talk to them, you know, as much as they want. But, you know, I want to get the people that didn't ring us that think they don't need to know anything because they're the ones that need to know the most. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess I'm trying to get a sense of like how it's filtering back to you, what what's actually going on in your community in that case? Yeah, well, okay, so word of mouth's always been the best thing for us to rely on. Um, but, you know, I can't talk for every drug user in Victoria. I can just really talk for my social networks and, and you know, people that I meet through work. We have um, a peer networker program, which is um, kind of works on 
people in the community that are kind of, I don't know, I hate this term, but champions at modelling safer drug use and things like that. We we get them, we train them up and um, support them to, to supply their networks of friends with um, clean injecting equipment. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware in Victoria, it's totally legal to go to a needle and syringe program and get some equipment but if you want to pass that on to someone else technically that's illegal I mean it's it's a really old outdated law that they you know obviously are working toward change but in the meantime you know we've got people that are just trying to do the right thing and if the cops want to come down hard on them they can so we get them we train them we give them a an official outreach card from DHS that says they're allowed to have the equipment and pass it on and of course they keep some basic data and, and they're our sort of ears on the ground there are, you know, we've got them all over Victoria. We've got a mob down in Geelong and, and Frankston and, and in the city and and that's what we we rely on a lot from them. I think we've got about twenty five or thirty peer networkers across the state that that are great for getting words out and, and also getting information back to us about what's happening on the ground, you know? Because it's different for every person. It just depends what network you're in, you know? Yeah. So what's filtering through from them at the moment? Okay, what's filtering through is for the illicit drug market that um, availability has gone down and the quality's gone down and the price has gone up, which, you know, no surprises there, I guess. However, um, there's a lot of um, anxiety amongst the community that that the illicit drug supply is actually going to dry up because of having all our borders shut. You know, most of the heroin we get from overseas. So I guess they've stopped that coming in if we've got no, you know, ships or planes or anything coming in. So, yeah, there's a, there's that little bit of anxiety out there. Is the illicit supply going to dry up? And also police, you know, I remember when we first got told everyone had to go home and stay at home and, and that, you know, we've got a huge community of people out there that don't even have a home to go to. So, um They've been picked up by housing services and, and housed in hotels in the city at the moment, but um, that's not ideal for people. Yeah, I've heard of people wanting to get into detox and stuff, and the detoxes were shut in the beginning. They're open now. They're taking people in blocks, I believe, so that they can kind of isolate everyone together. But, you know, it's not quite as easy, and services are halved with social distancing. Like even the injecting room, for example, having the social distance means they can only operate every second booth. So straight away their capacity is cut in half. So, yeah, that's the word out there is I think people are annoyed about the whole thing. But And, you know, there was also a whole bunch of people going around thinking, you know, on the conspiracy theory that coronavirus is a conspiracy and it's not true. And, you know, how do you deal with those people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you have to kind of adapt your information and give some information about coronavirus as well, I assume. Absolutely. And um, we, we've produced a few resources on the situation that are available on our website. But, um, you know, just along the lines of just tips for drug users during this pandemic, we looked at a lot of information that was coming out from, in particular, international agencies and that. And I remember, you know, it was things like, you know, if you've got enough money, you should buy up bulk in your drugs so that, you know, in case supplies run out. Well, number one, I don't know any drug user that's got enough money to go out and 
buy up their drugs for the next month. Um, and also, you know, there's a whole bunch of issues around it. You know, for years we've been giving out safer using information as in don't use on your own. But, you know, in this a pandemic where everyone's supposed to be isolated, you know, how are they supposed to use drugs safely if they can't use with other people around? You know, it's just all those sorts of things that trying to get, you know, people on board with. So we brought out, like I said, a couple of resources. One was like, I think, tips and tricks about, you know, if you're seeing your dealer, make sure you're, you know, practising safe things. So, and then there was a whole bunch of stuff about pharmacotherapy, you know, methadone and suboxone, people on that. I remember in the beginning, people were thinking, someone heard somewhere that the methadone supply was going to run out and that just sent panic waves through the whole community. Of course, it wasn't true. There's enough methadone for people, but, you know, just that fear of people that are dependent on something, it's a, it's a genuine fear, the thought of not being able to have it, you know. So we get really, really sick without it So and life can't go on. So I guess having that big anxious thought over your head yeah, people started getting a bit worried, but it seems to have calmed down a bit now. People are, you know, seem to be a bit more relaxed about it. But they're saying they're re- easing restrictions, but I mean, it's going to be a long time before we're back to normal. Yeah, I mean, how does concern about the supply affect people's behaviour now? Well, yeah, you know, you've got that that behaviour of you know the panic buying, which. You know, someone's got some money and they spend it all on drugs and then they've got a pot, a big bag of drugs. People tend to use more, you know. So there's there's actual a few surveys that are going around at the moment that's actually looking at that drug user's um, behaviour and, and how they've responded to certain things. But, you know, if I'm talking about what I'm seeing, it's just like what I'm seeing anecdotally and it can't speak for everybody. But, you know, I've just seen people... Um, trying to stockpile a bit of medication, whether it's illicit drugs or, you know, prescribed drugs that they're not using in the right way. Um, But, yeah, that's what I've seen, people trying to hoard up some drugs and um, as a result it's resulting in them probably using a bit more than they would because they've got the temptation of it sitting there. Yeah, it sounds contradictive that they're buying up bulk so they don't run out but then they're using more, but it's just kind of the way it goes, I think. I can... I can see that completely, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's going to disrupt the supply even more if you have people buying more than they usually would as well. Absolutely it does. And, you know, like the quality too, because people are, are perhaps, you know, not being able to get it where they usually get it from, so they've gone to someone else. So the quality is up and down and the whole overdose risk is very real in those situations. Yeah, I'm interested. You mentioned the advice to to use together is obviously contradicts the the lockdown restrictions so how do you get around that what's the information you're putting out well look you know this is harm reduction 101 it might not be exactly what the rules say but in order to be safe you know in you know we just said to people you know don't go out to score in big bunches of people and and just be sensible. I mean, some people are, are cluey enough. They'll ring someone and say, you know, if I don't call you back in five minutes, can you come looking for me or something like that? But, you know, that's not ideal. As far as I haven't been telling people to break the law, but I've been telling people don't be silly, you know. 
just you don't need hundreds of people together, but make sure there's someone else around when you're using, especially if you're it's not something that you're doing every day because it'd be terrible hearing people overdose and there was no one there to save them because they were all too busy socially isolating themselves at home. Yeah, there must be a temptation to think about what's the worst risk. I mean, clearly coronavirus is a, a big risk for the individual and society, but if you, you have these other risks to balance against that. Yeah, see, there's there's like a cure. Well, there's not a cure for coronavirus. However, there's no vaccination yet. However, people can survive coronavirus, but I don't know anyone that's managed to survive death yet. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, there's another whole issue around overdose response that's happening out there too because, you know, it used to be make sure you've got a mask if you need to resuscitate someone, do mouth to mouth. But a mask isn't going to protect you from coronavirus at the moment. So if you are a you know good citizen and you see someone overdose, do you run in and help them and risk getting corona? You know. Yeah, absolutely. And and they might themselves not want to be approached by you. You know, you might be going over and touching someone who's actually okay. And and then how do they feel about you doing that? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'll always approach someone before I jump in. But yeah, you know, exactly. That's what we're talking about. So I haven't had that dilemma put to me yet. But, you know, I'm pretty sure if I um, saw an overdose that needed intervention, I don't think I'd be that concerned about corona. I think I'd be more concerned about saving someone's life. Yeah, but you're you're trained to see the signs that someone does require an intervention i i guess for members of the public they're going to be less sure about helping someone oh yeah for sure i mean but you know and i hate to say this unfortunately a lot of the members of the public don't really give a shit about drug users overdosing anyway you know i've seen people walk past them and step over them and you know there are good people in the community as well but it's just unfortunate that there's still people out there that would just ignore someone that was dying or needed help yeah, I was reading a, a story about groups forming outside the safe injecting center uh, because of the restrictions in there and how that was causing a problem. And then, you know, I went out for my walk and saw crowds of people waiting for coffee on the corner. Of course, there are very different responses to those groups of people. Yeah, well, see, coffee's socially acceptable. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I really feel for the injecting room down in there in Richmond. They just are subject to so much scrutiny and criticism. And, and you know, the reason that joint was set up was to save people's lives, and that's what it's done. So, you know, to me that's above all what you, your neighbours are going to have a whinge about and stuff like that. You know, and, I, I mean, I've been down to Richmond too, and I've, I've seen drug users that, yeah, might be um, – behaving a bit inappropriately and stuff but I also see a lot of people that don't use drugs that are acting inappropriately you know whether it be mental health reasons or what but you know they all just get labeled as drug users as well because if they're doing something bad they must be you know the majority of them are good people down there you know that are just fallen on hard times yeah do you feel like you're getting some flexibility from from the broader community and i mean i'm I'm talking about 
people, the media, the police, government, I mean, however you want to interpret that. Yeah, look, you know, there was um, a lot of concern in the beginning with, um, you know, police issuing fines for people that weren't adhering to the restrictions and, and, you know, I've gone to various meetings and it always comes up, you know, oh, you're targeting our community and, and the police have said they're going to review every single fine that's been written and, you know, hopefully um, they will be able to just, you know, ignore them. But I don't know, like when you've got somebody that their only source of income is, I don't know, washing the windscreens at the intersection and all of a sudden they can't do that, there goes their their form of income. So what are they meant to do, you know? All the sex workers, like, you know, I just imagine this is a group of people that don't get the government benefits, you know, that are being given out at the moment because for whatever reason they've been off the grid. But it's a, it's a problem, you know, how are they supposed to survive? <laughs> so, yes, I, I see a little bit of leniency, but as a whole, no, and nowhere near enough, you know. Yeah, I live in Fitzroy and I was on Smith Street the other day and and there was somebody outside the supermarket, you know, that was just begging for money and stuff like that. And, you know, just a resident's gone past and just unleashed this tirade of abuse and ended up saying that, you know, those kind of people are the reason that these viruses are around and stuff. I was just like, what are you on, mate? Just shut up. (laughs) But, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's challenging times for everybody. You know, I have to keep reminding myself that, yeah, I don't have a lot of patience for people that just yell abuse and walk off. No, of course not. But, yeah, there's a lot of anxiety out there with with everyone, I suppose. Yeah. Just returning to your work, how are you sort of planning to to move forward with what you're doing? Because, you know, it looks like we're in it for the long haul with a lot of these restrictions. Yeah, look... um, I mean, I was really relieved to hear that, you know, now we can, community groups can have up to 10 people in a group as long as they practice social distancing. Straight away, my head went back to, you know, work, training workshops that I used to run. But, you know, unfortunately, most services don't have enough room for 10 people to be socially distant in one room, you know. They need a big space to be able to do that. So I guess I could look at doing smaller groups. But um, I also like to see a bit of positive out of this and and you know we've come up with some different ways or new ideas of doing things I remember the first thing that came up was oh my god you're going to have to make training videos you know what you do have a video of it so that we can put it out there for people and you know I've got this horrible paranoia about being on film and 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 stuff like that and I thought I guess I've got rid of that paranoia by being able to put my head on a video these days I think that um, I don't think we're going to go back to exactly how it was. I think that we're just going to have to get on board with the with what's happening and just do. I don't know. Like we've talked about it at work. We we've got you know videos. We've got like I said at the beginning. Though it's an issue for people that don't have access to all those that equipment. Yeah, like we've got one of our programs is is doing a thing at lunchtime every day where all their volunteers are getting together on Zoom and, and, you know, workshopping things and that. But like I said, a lot of the people that um, I work with, they don't have access to that equipment. And 
furthermore, we're a completely confidential service. We don't take people's names and details. So to contact people in that way could be really hard as well. But um, as far as getting it back to normal, I can't wait till, till we can start planning events again, you know, like for whatever reason. We, we were just before the pandemic hit, we had um, a screening of a movie planned for our organisation. That got cancelled. But being able to plan events would be fantastic and having our programs running back at full steam, you know. And I think what's come out of this too, maybe we need to add some more training on for people about how to use um, technology <laughs> because so many people don't know how to use it. Yeah, yeah, we found exactly that access to technology and, and the ability to use it is going to become a, a, a stark kind of line of inequality. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's uh, it's a necessity that's out there, you know. I guess not only for, for drug users but for all sorts of people. But, yeah, I, I don't know. We, we had a talk earlier today at work about, you know, are we going to go back to working full-time in the office? Um, I didn't even know that was on the table, you know, the chance to continue working from home. I know I'm dead keen to get back in the office, so just um, feeling connected to your workmates and what's going on out there. I think is it is me as a worker that's got access to all these sorts of communication, if I'm feeling a little bit out of the loop, I think, my God, how is that reflecting to our punters, you know? Like how are they feeling if they they don't have half as much connection as I do? So surely it must be impacting them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and maybe worsening, you know, difficulties that they were having already as well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, even... even um. As another side of it, we do staff training, you know, and I mean, yeah, sure, we could, I can organise a training session over video, you know, to another workplace and that, but, you know, I think what we do and what we do so well is adding our personal insight and experience to the training we deliver. So um, just that contact with someone eye to eye in a room as opposed to over a screen, I just think you lose a lot of it that way you know by not being in the room with the person talking to them not being able to see their reaction as you say something you know just I think a lot of it's lost when it's not face to face yeah maybe I'm old-fashioned I don't know but yeah no I I couldn't agree more whether whether it's old-fashioned or not and hopefully it it won't be old-fashioned <laughs> to think like that in, in two <laughs> yeah. years time and we'll be back to some kind of normality um so you mentioned that you know you you've had to work on your tech savvy and you know agreeing to do videos and that that kind of thing is is there anything else positive that you you think you might take away from this period um well something positive i would like to take away from it is I guess it's a negative how much time I used to spend actually traveling to places to go to meetings and to, you know, get just to the office and stuff like that. I think I need to reevaluate that. But um, I don't know. I just, one thing that I did want to say in amongst all of this is that, you know, people who use drugs as a community, we're pretty resilient anyway. You know, we, um, they threw HIV at us and we managed to smack that on its head. 
hepatitis C, we're in the process of eliminating that. So to us, having coronavirus thrown at us is nothing new for our community. And we, you know, I just think drug users will take it in their stride and and be the best at, at targeting it back. I don't know. Maybe that sounds a bit wanky, but um, I just think, you know, we don't have a HIV epidemic amongst people who inject drugs in Australia because drug users took the messages on board and, and, and did the right thing, you know. So I think as a community we can be very um, influential and strong when we want to be, and I just hope that this situation is one that we come out of it on top again, you know. Does that make sense? Or Yeah, 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 and it does make sense, and, and I agree. Yeah, so... Yeah, but back to the, I guess, bad side of things is I just don't know how you can get that whole level of trust and and, and rapport with someone over a telephone or, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard because face-to-face is when you get that, you know, the trust and the rapport and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, I just feel like it's put us quite back in as far as, progressing our work with people because yeah I mean you know I feel a lot more you know connected to someone if I'm talking to them and I can see their face and hear their voice as opposed to emailing them or or you know what I mean it's just I think a lot of personal stuff has been lost through all of this and I just hope we get it back yeah I'm hoping that realizing what the loss of it means will encourage people to to value it as highly as they should but um i do also agree that i could handle not driving across the city for you know one meeting or something you know there's there's probably a balance there yeah absolutely but um i don't know the answer to fixing it but yeah it's it's hard yeah yeah <laughs> yeah really hard I haven't really enlightened you very much and told you anything you didn't really know, I guess. But, um, yeah, it is hard and challenging. But we'll get there, I'm sure. <laughs> we have to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and no, not at all. Like, this is a sort of really good broad picture of, of where you're at and your work and your community. And that, that's exactly what we need. It's, it's not surprising that we're having some of the same challenges and realisations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've got a program called Dance Wise that goes to, you know, events, music festivals and stuff. And so they're, they're just, they've had to just stop in their tracks because, A, there's no events happening, but, you know, they've got over 200 volunteers. Like, they can't even have one of their meetings in person at the moment. So um, I don't know what's going to happen there. I've heard they've had some dance parties on Zoom and I just can't understand how that would work but yeah yeah well <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad i'm not 19 from from that point of view because it's a lot more fun together absolutely it is so yeah just whole new world i guess absolutely okay jane that that seems like as, as good a place as any to to end this conversation thanks again for your time and and good luck with your work no worries have a good one bye There's 24-7 help available for individuals affected by alcohol and other drugs at Direct Line on 1-800-888-236 
and for their loved ones family drug help on 1300 660 068. HRVIC provide great resources for harm reduction at hrvic.org.au. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe or leave us a review. And do get in touch either by emailing apsu at shark.org.au, that's shark with a C, or at facebook.com slash apsu online. We're always looking for new guests as well as issues and perspectives that we haven't covered. The Association of Participating Service Users, or APSU, is a service of the Self-Help Addiction Resource Centre, or SHARC. APSU is a Victorian consumer body that believes the voices of people with lived experience of alcohol and other drugs should be heard and incorporated into service design and delivery. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of APSU or SHARC, The music you heard is by DBH. There's plenty more of it at dbhguitar.bandcamp.com. And there'll be more from us at least once a month.